The Wings of a Butterfly by Colin Baker. It had all started when the doctor visited his old tutor, Juotheros, on Gallifrey, after the old historian had invited him to the presentation to the Academy of his landmark paper on time displacement correction in the event of causal anomaly. Afterwards, they had chatted in Juotheros's study quarters. Let me get this right. The doctor had been intrigued by Juotheros's request. You want me to travel to this place... What's his name? Bixor. Bixor? Bixor. In the Clamis Spiral? A memory had stirred in the doctor's mind. He rarely forgot a planet he had visited, but the fine details sometimes eluded him. Yes, Juotheros replied. It is really very odd. They were a very stable, Tellurian-style civilization, which had successfully negotiated, and it has to be said with unusual ease for humans with democratic institutions, their potentially destructive post-atomic phase. They were, indeed it cannot be denied, a significant force for stable socio-political development within their proximate stellar concentration. Then, suddenly, oh, they were gone. Simply not there. Destroyed by some cataclysmic event which was generated somehow on or within their own planet and which subsequent spectroscopic analysis proclaims ineluctably to be a non-spontaneous actual or quasi-interventionist event. The Doctor was familiar with Juotheros's well-known tendency to call a spade a metallic manual pulverized sedimentary rock displacement and realignment device but was anxious to get to the point. You mean it was not natural? Oh, decidedly not. Nor indeed was it generated from an external source. Jorthorus was a pan-cosmic historian, grade one, enhanced, whose speciality was the study of planets in the rim galaxies, whose life forms, by reasons of colonization or planned evolution, mimicked, to varying degrees, the Tellurian model. He knew that the Doctor was somewhat unconventional in his approach to most things, and usually disapproved of him for that very reason. But the unexpected and unpredicted annihilation of Bixor had troubled him. He felt that the Doctor would have less qualms than the majority of their fellow Time Lords about travelling back to visit extinguished civilizations on a fact-finding mission, and even more importantly, the Doctor was, to his certain knowledge, endowed with limitless curiosity about... Well, everything, really. Furthermore, he'd always irritated the Gallifreyan hierarchy by demonstrating what they considered to be a perverse fondness for the rather insignificant planet that was Earth, and which had enjoyed a brief emergence from its anonymity with a burst of space exploration before that empire-building hubris had been subtly guided and adjusted by the Time Lords. And as Earth bore marked similarities to Bixor, it had occurred to Juotheros as another possible inducement that might persuade the Doctor to get involved, when others might show a more sensible reluctance. So, you want to know how Bixor contrived to eradicate itself in such an untimely way, and you're suggesting that I might be able to satisfy your curiosity? The Doctor prompted. Correct, Doctor. I spent decades completing my 16-volume past and future history of that sector, and am struggling to accommodate the notion that my researches, 
may have been frustrated by the physical excision of my natural market for the dissemination and publication of that history. However, Juotheros, the doctor continued somewhat mischievously, I do hope that you are not suggesting that I should take any action to undo that which has already occurred. As Time Lords, we both know the implication and consequence of that. Juotheros, of course, knew perfectly well that the doctor had incurred the corporate wrath of the Time Lords on many occasions when it seemed to them that he had done precisely that. The doctor had thus far contrived to escape the ultimate sanction, but Duothrus could not be seen to encourage the doctor to do that which deep down he may well have hoped for. To be accused of being an accomplice of this notorious disrespecter of the Time Lord's most sacred laws would be unthinkable. Oh, no, 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 please, doctor. Of course not. Under no circumstances must you do anything other than operate on a purely fact-finding basis. Do nothing. I repeat, do nothing that might distort the fabric of time in even the most insignificant way. I do hope that you are under no misapprehension on that score. The doctor smiled thoughtfully, sure that the old historian was being more than a little disingenuous, and solemnly lowered his head in acquiescence as he left Duotheros's quarters. The latter was abruptly struck by a sudden feeling of guilt and foreboding. He knew that the doctor was notoriously disinclined to follow the letter of any law, temporal or spatial. He was mad to allow his academic curiosity and frustration to lead him to trust the doctor, of all people, to conduct himself with the careful attention to time preservation protocols expected of Time Lords on a mission of discovery. Juotheros was not a man accustomed to any physical activity that might be described as haste or impetuousness, so his close associates would have been surprised to see him at the next moment, not exactly running, but walking quite briskly towards his door and throwing it open with some vigour. His intention was to call after the doctor and firmly countermand his previous request. Much better not to take any risks after all. Academia and reckless time exploration were uncomfortable bedfellows. As he stepped through the doorway and opened his mouth to call after the doctor, he suddenly leapt somewhat ridiculously into the air, squealing in surprise, as he saw the doctor himself standing immediately outside the door, looking similarly surprised, but not squealing. Oh, oh, thank goodness I'm oh, not too late, doctor, he gabbled. Look, this, this is a very bad idea. I'm sorry. I really am. I am completely to blame for wasting your time. But, 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 but I must insist you do nothing that might make my academic curiosity set in motion events that might be even more catastrophic than whatever it was that destroyed that benighted planet in the first place. The doctor smiled benevolently at the quivering historian. Ah, uh, <clears throat> too late, my dear fellow. I regret to say I was about to knock on your door to report on my um, <clears throat> mission. What? Juotheros squeaked pathetically as a sense of leaden foreboding started doing a slow march around his whirling brain. But, but you can't have. You only left a second ago. You, you couldn't have got into your TARDIS in that time, let alone... He tailed off. Reality tapped his brain on its synaptic shoulder and whispered, He's a time traveller, you know. Juotheros' brain whipped around to confront its tormentor with the protestation that the Doctor had never been that precise with his time calculations before, but realised that it was, well, a no-brainer. 
He stared at the doctor in horror and then quickly looked up and down the vaulted corridor in which they were standing. Seeing it empty, he grabbed the doctor's sleeve and dragged him into his quarters, slamming the door behind them. Oh, Doctor, oh, please tell me you haven't done anything I might regret for the rest of my lives. Juotherus could barely restrain his frantic anxiety. It's a case of the hurricane caused by the beating of the butterfly's wings, I'm afraid, the doctor sighed. What? Oh, please explain yourself, Doctor. This is not a time to be cryptic. Well, my old friend, it appears that it all started when a pair of trousers fell down. The doctor paused for effect and resumed immediately when he saw the academic struggling to control his impatience and reaching for the heavy paperweight made of selenium basalt on his desk. Trousers fell down in a crowded street in the middle of the central hub city of the planetary capital of Bixor, the doctor continued. They fell down because of human error. The waistband and fastening had been loosely tacked in preparation, but not subsequently finally stitched into place. The single loop thread had simply given way. <laughs> Human beings, universally it seems, are diverted, distracted and delighted by such trifling events. And in the ensuing merriment, a pickpocket took the opportunity to ply his subtle trade. Having removed the personal mobile transport facilitator of his victim, he located the vehicle which it powered and, in a fit of unwanted generosity, gave his foot-powered wheeled vehicle to a young boy on a street corner and drove off. Unaware of the stepping stone to a grim destiny that he had laid behind him. The boy cycled off unsteadily, but happily, on his first ever bicycle ride. He wobbled into the path of a multiple goods transport machine, which, swerving to avoid him, ploughed into a high-voltage electricity substation, plunging the entire manufacturing sector into a powerless state which took hours to rectify. At the moment of re-electrification, in a vector module assembly plant adjacent to the scene of the accident, the manufacturing line jerked back into life. Sixteen modules were imprinted twice with their circuitry and were subsequently installed in the fail-safe navigation and propulsion system of an aerial transport drone, which was used to convey fissile materials to the capital's central nuclear power generation plant. When the drone's automatic system developed a fault, the backup system was deployed and the doubly imprinted vector modules activated. As luck would have it, the drone was passing over the only active Parasyan volcanic fissure on Bixor. The drone accelerated to sublight speed as it dived vertically into the molecular soup in the mantle of the planet. The fissile material reacted with the thereby accelerated neutrinos, and the planet literally exploded. Joothorus stared at the doctor for a long, painful moment, before slowly exhaling the breath that he suddenly realised he'd been holding during the unfolding of this fateful tale of tragic destruction. You mean that Bixor was destroyed because a man's trousers fell down? A planet 
that was going to spearhead the Universal Peace Accord of the Ninth Quintillennium, which was going to produce Maharos, the composer of spiritual peace music which could pacify even the warlords of Kar, which would have produced the man who discovered the benign parasitic enzyme that would convert superfluous human fat into transmittable energy to power portable computers and music players. Jothorus seemed bent on an eternal litany of the future benefits to universal peace and prosperity that Bixor would have provided had it not been for its untimely and pointless destruction. The doctor coughed gently. <clears throat> what? Well, I could, of course, go back a little further and apply a little, <clears throat> shall we say, trouser adjustment? Oh, that is, of course, if Time Lords were to approve of such a a minor intervention. After all, you have only just discovered the disappearance of Bixor, so the Matrix Nexus hasn't yet been imprinted. Mm, has it? He smiled winningly and casually buffed the black-and-white image of a cat that adorned his gaudy lapel. Joothorus stared at the doctor again. But this time there was feverish activity at the back of the academic's mind. A battle was taking place. Where was the resolve that had swamped his weakness a mere few moments ago? He couldn't risk causing an even worse cataclysm, could he? And there again, what could be worse than what had happened already? After all, a planet couldn't suffer a worse fate than complete destruction, could it? Um, well, strictly, of course, he began. Oh, yes, yes, of course, strictly, the doctor helpfully agreed. Well, however... Given the time frame... Oh, yes. The time frame is definitely... And the undoubted benefit to all future... Um, civilizations, the Doctor offered. Yes, yes. The undoubted benefit to all future civilizations everywhere. They looked at each other. The Doctor quietly left. He returned to Bixor. This time he discovered why the trousers had been imperfectly made. It was a somewhat sobering discovery, and one that made the doctor instantly promise himself never, ever to do a favour for an old friend again. The girl whose task it had been to stitch the offending trousers had been distracted from her habitual task by the sight of a blue police box suddenly appearing, with a series of grating warps immediately outside the window beside which she sat while working. She had witnessed the doctor's arrival on his earlier visit to investigate the untimely end of Bixel. It was, therefore, that very fact-finding visit that had resulted in the annihilation of the planet. In the light of this discovery, the Doctor had no compunction. He took the TARDIS to a point around the corner from the Acme Trouser and Parachute Company some thirty years earlier. While he was casually considering what possible manufacturing synchronicity would result in two such unlikely commodities being manufactured together, he planted a quick-growing evergreen tree 
at the point where it will completely obscure his future, distracting arrival from the gaze of the careless trouser-maker. As he returned to the TARDIS, feeling somewhat smug and self-congratulatory about the simplicity of his remedial action, he glanced up and saw that this time he had landed the TARDIS immediately outside the Zenith Brasier Company. A sea of faces watched him from its windows. No, he told himself. The lightning of manufacturing ineptitude really can't strike twice. Can it? Dare I risk it? Oh, dear. This time, he took no chances. He took the TARDIS to a point some considerable distance from any building in which anything might be being manufactured. He arrived in the wee small hours of the planet's night, when neither of Bixor's moons were visible, the day before his most recent visit. The subtleties of the long game, he decided, were no longer appropriate. With the precision of an illusionist preparing to bamboozle an audience into believing that he could make an elephant vanish, he constructed a series of angled mirrors around the perimeter of the Brazier Company's factory, that would make it impossible for any of its workers to see the spot where the TARDIS would land the following day. He checked every angle, every window and vantage point. Finally satisfied that his third coming to Bixor would be unobserved, he returned to the TARDIS. Then came the next imponderable. Would Juotheros now remember that he'd asked the Doctor to help him in the first place? Well, if the plan had worked, then the timelines would have shimmered, shifted, and the imperfections would fade, taking with them any record of their existence. Only the Doctor would carry the memory of both lines. Juotheros had not physically experienced both and would therefore now have no memory of the anomaly or its potential consequences. The Doctor was therefore not surprised when, moments later on Gallifrey, Juotheros greeted him affably as an old friend that he had not seen for some time. Doctor, my dear young fellow, how are you? What have you been up to? Not meddling again, I hope? 